That's it uh, for announcements tonight. We are in Genesis 28 as we're going through the Bible. Genesis 28. And Genesis 29. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the change of seasons and the beautiful sunshine today and the spring and the the grass that's starting to come up and we're reminded of your love for us. And as we look at Jacob and Esau, Lord, and Isaac, that you would show us your character, that your heart would be revealed. Lord, I pray for those that just need your comfort and your peace and your rest, that you would, would meet them. Or those that are looking for a special word from you, that you would speak to their hearts. We're all here to draw near to you. We pray you would bless youth ministry and children's ministry tonight. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so far in the book of Genesis, we have seen nothing but dysfunctional families. We have Adam and Eve, their two sons, the first brothers ever recorded in human history, that ended in homicide, didn't it? We find Noah with his boys, Noah getting drunk, and his son exposing his shame to his other two sons. Then we have Abraham, and this great man of faith, but yet decides to take a little sidetrack with Hagar, and you have Ishmael and Isaac, and that tension that was taking place. Now the focus is upon Isaac and his two sons, Jacob and Esau, and we see their mess in Genesis 28 and through 29. This is encouraging to us because I haven't met a family that's not filled with sinners, right? Including my own. We're all sinners and we're desperately in need of God's grace and his touch. And even though these families are struggling, what we find is God's faithfulness. And though our families struggle and our lives struggle, God is faithful. And we're going to see God being very faithful to Isaac and to Jacob, even though there is a lot of mess that is revealed. In fact, hearts are revealed in these two chapters. We see Isaac not heeding the word of God, that God said that the younger would be the one who would rule over the older. That was predicted while the boys were still in the womb. We see Jacob and Rebekah deciding that they want to be manipulators, that they want to try to achieve God's promise through their own efforts instead of relying upon God. Esau's a man that wants God's blessing, but he doesn't want to be obedient uh, to the Lord. But even more so than that, we see God's heart revealed. So let's look in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered him, here am I. Isaac's getting up there in years and his eyes are dim and he can't see and he calls his oldest son Esau to himself. Possibly he was having cataracts. And that was taking his eyesight uh, from him. He sees his end of his life coming, and there's something that's on his heart. Verse 2, then he said, behold, now I'm old. He just owns it. I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt 
game for me and make me savory food such as I love. Bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. We know that Esau was favored by Isaac because of this great food, this great meat that he would bring to Isaac as a hunter. He's longing for some of this one last barbecue. So he says, go out and hunt for me, cook up this savory food. And when you bring me this meal, then I'm going to give this blessing to you. I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. But God had spoken to Rebecca that it would be the younger who would be over the older. And Isaac's not being mindful of that at this point. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau's son And Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it in. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. What Rebekah could have done is she could have intervened at this point and talked to Isaac. Said, wait a second. Remember what God spoke to me when the boys were in my womb? Let's stop and pray about this. Would you please consider this? But instead, she decides she's going to take matters into her own hands. She's going to go and bring this to Jacob, and they're going to come up with a plan to try to intervene so that Jacob can receive the blessing instead of Esau. Here's her instruction. Now therefore, my son... Obey my voice according to what I have commanded you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats. And I will make savory food for them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. We've got a head start here. We can just go out to the pasture, get the animals, kill them. I'll cook it up. I know the recipe. Esau got the recipe from me. And then your dad is going to bless you instead of Esau. She saw the importance of the blessing, but she's going about it the wrong way. Has there ever been a time in your life where you look back and you go, you know, I was being deceitful. I was being manipulative. Maybe I was pursuing something that was godly. I was pursuing the blessing of the Lord But I was really trying to make it happen instead of relying upon God, relying upon the Lord to unfold it in his time. I was thinking about this this afternoon. I was in third grade, and some of my buddies got some new Vans shoes. And those were really cool shoes. Vans are still cool shoes, right? So I went to my parents, and I said, hey, could I get some Vans? They said, hey, we we can't afford Vans. What you've got are... Are, are perfectly fine. I was disappointed that I didn't get these vans. Now, instead of going and working to earn some extra money or waiting for a birthday or leaving it in God's hands, I came up with this plan. I knew mom's soft spot. If I went to mom and said, you know, all the kids at school are teasing me because of my shoes, my perfectly good shoes that were pretty new, but they weren't vans, and just make up this story of how persecuted I am. The word bullied wasn't, you know, a term at that point. But if I lay it out to her, I'm being bullied, no doubt she's going to cave. We're going to go down to the store. We're going to get some brand new Vans. 
sure enough, it worked. It worked. It worked just like I had prescribed in my deception. She went down after a few days, got me the vans. No one ever teased me at school about my old shoes, but that's what my my mom believed, right? I played the Jacob in that scenario. You can find a new church if you want to, but I can still remember what those vans looked like uh, to, to this day. We probably all can relate at some point in our lives. And God says it, it's not by power or by might, but by my spirit. God's not needing Jacob to intervene. He's not needing Rebecca to, to intervene. And sometimes the hardest thing in the life for us as a, a parent is to leave it in God's hands. To, to find that balance of saying, when am I trusting the Lord? And am I taking these actions in faith and trusting the Lord? Or am I trying to maneuver things and manipulate things towards a good direction, but I'm using deception in order to try to accomplish that good thing. In verse 11, And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Remember when Esau was born, they look at him and they go, Whoa! This is a hairy baby. Let's name him Esau, which literally means hairy. And it continued. The hair didn't go away. It wasn't just some baby hair. I mean, this guy was a a fur. You know, you just had all, you could pet him, right? And Esau says, this is not going to work. Or Jacob's is like, this is not going to work. I'm smooth skinned. And Esau is so hairy. What if, what if dad touches me and realizes that I'm lying and I'm going to bring a curse upon myself. There is not a moral objection here. There's just simply an objection that this plan may not work. This isn't Jacob going, wait a second, mom. I don't think this is right. We're being deceivers. We're being manipulators here. Verse 13, but his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. You guys getting hungry yet with all this talk of savory food? Then Rebecca took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. I told you he was really hairy. Like, you get goat skins and are able to put it on his arms and upon his neck. So if dad touches him, he's like, oh yeah, that feels like Esau. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here am I. Who are you, my son? Isaac starts to get suspicious. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Here, I just realized my mom watches the live stream. I don't know if she knows the story. As I was reading verse 19, I was like, I might have to make a phone call after service. Uh, so 
here Jacob is going, all right, Esau, sit down and let's get, get going with this. And notice how Jacob lies about this in verse 19. He says, I am Esau, your firstborn. He's claiming to be his brother. That's how bold he is in this lie that he's giving. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Oh man, now he brings the Lord into it. So a lie has to sustain another lie. And that's the problem with lying. So here's the first lie, I'm Esau. And well, dad's going, well, how did you get this meat so fast? Well, the Lord blessed me and the Lord brought it quickly upon me. Jacob is going to receive the blessing, but he's also going to reap what he sows. We see the cost of deception. First, is he never sees his mother again after this. He's going to have to flee for his life, and he never sees his mom again after this. Esau wants to kill him. He tastes his own medicine. This deception that he gives out here, he's going to reap. We're going to find that as we continue in the book of Genesis. His family is filled with conflict. He's exiled for years from his family. Guys, if, if this is in our character, if this is kind of who we are as a, as a deceiver and a manipulator, and we don't have a problem lying to get what we want, and we think in some way that we're getting ahead, God wants to root this out of our character. He wants us to see what this does to his heart and to uh, relationships. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So you can see Isaac has some clear doubts at this point. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and felt his arm and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. You don't sound like Esau, but you feel like Esau. So he goes ahead and gives the blessing. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Esau has a distinct smell. He has the smell of a hunter. I enjoy hunting, and if I've been in the mountains for three or four days, but especially four or five days, and you're out hunting, not showering, and if you happen to get an animal, which Esau did, that has a distinct smell, and it's not pleasant. We'll just put it that way. And you don't even really realize it while you're out in the mountains, out in the field. But then as you get in your truck and the closer you get to home, you become more keenly aware of how bad you smell, right? And so Esau hunted so much that his clothes had a distinct smell as well. Mom knew this and she prepared well and she put on some of Esau's clothes upon Jacob. And the last test is the test of smell. Does he really smell like Esau? Is this really Esau? And he passes the smell test. And now the blessing comes. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you 
of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. So it has elements here of God's blessing upon Abraham. And we see it passing from Abraham to Isaac and now Isaac to Jacob, even though he believes that he's giving this blessing to Esau. There's a physical blessing here, plenty of grain and wine and fatness of earth. There's authority and power over the nations and family. There's protection. Bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And God fulfills this in the life of Jacob. Jacob gives birth to 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 30, now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brothers, came in from his hunting. That Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Hear this, the truth always comes out. There's no such thing as something being hidden. What we whisper in the private is going to be shouted from the rooftops. The way out of a lie is to tell the truth. And as Jacob was being questioned by his dad, he could have said, wait a second, I'm lying. And been truthful. And just laid it all out there on the table. But he didn't chose to do that, so God chose to expose him. And the very moment that they finished with the blessing, here comes Esau. It's set up by the Lord. Verse 31, he had also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. So we understand what a big deal this blessing is. It's a big deal to Isaac. It's a big deal to Jacob and Rebekah. It's even a big deal to Esau in his reprobate state, in his state of not walking with the Lord. He still wanted that blessing from God and the blessing that came from his, his father. I think one of the things that is an insight here is the way that we can speak and pray blessing in the lives of people, especially our family, to pray for them and pray for God's blessing to be upon them, to speak life into their, their lives. But not only our families, but those that God brings us in contact with, to take the time and say, Lord, what are you doing in their life and how can I seek you that you would bless them, that you would be gracious to them, that you would cause your face to, to shine upon them. It's a big deal for the blessing to be given out. When Esau he heard the words of his father, he cried, and seeing a great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me also, O my father. So he wants this blessing, but remember, he sold his birthright for some stew, for some bean stew. When he was hungry, he's already married of the pagan nations. His heart's not in the right place, but yet he still wants the blessing. And sometimes we want the blessing of God without the obedience, don't we? We go, God, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. 
but we're not willing to deal with those areas of our life where there may need to be repentance. Verse 35, but he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. That's no way to get a blessing. If you've got to get a blessing by backhanded tricks, it would have been much sweeter if Jacob would have left this in God's hands and let God unfold it the way he wanted to. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has surplanted me. These two times, he took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? He's lived up to his name, heel catcher, supplanter. He's gotten this through manipulation. Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master. Isaac knows what's taken place. And all of his brethren I have given to him as servants with grain and wine. I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the earth from above. But your sword shall live and you shall serve your brother. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it came to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. What does this blessing contain? It does contain physical prosperity, but also violence. You shall live by the sword. There also involves service. You shall serve your brother Jacob. There's conflict. You'll be restless, and you'll ultimately break off the the yoke of your brother, the control of Israel. Esau's descendants became the Edomites, and they did become a great nation, but they were always lesser than the nation of Israel. So this was fulfilled in Esau's life as well. Here's the result of the manipulation and the deception. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of our mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, we have to realize when we lie and we manipulate and we're in deceit, that it hurts relationships. It's hurting the person that we're lying to. And it's difficult to tell the truth, but it's much more damaging to be caught in a lie. The, the sting of deception, it really hurts. But then also, too, if you're the victim of someone being deceitful towards you, you get to choose how you respond. Esau doesn't have to go homicidal, right? There's a way to deal with this without returning evil for evil. God doesn't want us to return evil for evil. To do justly, to to love mercy, to deal with it and say, wait a second, you're lying to me, but leave the vengeance in God's hands. Don't allow yourself to be consumed with anger. That's the trick with evil. If someone commits evil to us, if they rip us off, and then in turn, we do something evil to them out of bitterness, then we've got overcome with with evil. Verse 42, and the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. Rebekah hears everything and knows everything. She's the patriarch of the family, and she hears this plan that Esau has to kill Jacob. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, 
Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. She says, go back to where I'm from. Go to my brother's house until your brother cools down, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? By the time Jacob comes back, Rebecca has already passed away. That seems to be one of the consequences of her deceit and her deception. In verse 46, I, Rebekah, said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heath. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heath, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? So she sees twofold in sending Jacob away. First, the protection of his life, but then also the finding of a wife, right? says, I don't want you marrying women from this region because they don't know the Lord. Well, let's go into chapter 29. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Pan, Dan, Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take for yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brothers. Why doesn't Isaac want Jacob marrying of the Canaanites? Because they don't know the Lord. They don't serve the one true a living God. He says, I want you to marry someone who is a believer. And gives the second blessing to Jacob. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to you, holding on to the promise that God's going to give them the land. Verse 5, so Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Pandanaram, to Laban the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pandanaram to take himself a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he gave him charge, saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So he gets news of the instructions that Jacob received. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Pandanaram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife, in addition to the wives that he had. What does Esau do? He spites his parents. He's angry, saying that they don't want us to marry the Canaanites. Well, I'm going to go marry the Canaanites. And I'm going to make this even a little more personal. I'm going to the line of Ishmael. Isaac, of course, was the, the chosen. And Ishmael, though loved by God, wasn't the chosen. He really couldn't do anything more to show his disdain and disrespect, and I'm going to put this in the face of, of my parents. So be careful if you're hurt, okay? We need to let God come in and heal those hurts 
and bring us comfort and be reminded of how much the Lord has forgiven us because it's not good when we go on this vengeful war path and say, well, this person hurt me, so I'm gonna make them pay. And we start making life choices and we don't even realize it that we're the ones that are gonna pay. Who's really gonna pay for this? Yes, this hurts Isaac and Rebecca, but it hurts Esau more than anyone else. In verse 10, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he's traveling from the south to, to the north. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. He's all alone in this journey. And this came about pretty suddenly. It all starts with Isaac going, man, my eyes don't work very good. I'm getting close to my death. It's time for me to give a blessing to Esau. And before you know it, Jacob and Rebekah come up with this plan. Now Esau wants to kill Jacob. Jacob now has to leave home and go to Laban, his, his uncle. And as he's on this journey, he, he decides to lay his head on a stone for a pillow. I would think that he could try to come up with something that's a little more comfortable than a stone to lay his head on. It kind of shows the destitute situation that he is, is in. And you know what? There's nothing more comfortable than a clear conscience for a pillow. Right? Jacob doesn't have that at this point. He doesn't have his conscience clear. It's his own deception that has caused him to flee, and he falls asleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to the heavens, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And this is what I want you to see tonight, is we see the heart of Isaac. We see the heart of Jacob and Rebekah. We see the heart of Esau, but ultimately we see the heart of God. And we learn lessons of what not to do in this family, but God doesn't give up on this family. God doesn't give up on Jacob. God's going to appear to Jacob at this place where he's destitute because of his own deception, and he shows him this vision while he's sleeping of this ladder. And the angels are ascending and descending to heaven on this ladder. Now in John 1, Jesus says this about the ladder. And he said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus went through the Old Testament and pointed out, this is where it points of me. This vision of this ladder and the angels ascending and descending, Jesus is the ladder. Jesus goes on later to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the one that allows us to be able to go into the, the presence of God. So even in this vision that Jacob has because of his deception, God is pointing to his son. He's pointing to Jesus. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us or forsake us in our unfaithfulness. In verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. 
he goes through this history. He says, you know what? I'm the God of Abraham, and I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm your God as well. And we get the benefit of studying God's character from Genesis to Revelation. And the way that God worked in these people's lives is the way that he works in our lives as well. And then we have the benefit of those that have gone before us, family members, friends, mentors, and how God has been faithful in their lives. He's going to be faithful in our life as well. God reassures Jacob of the promise and says, I'm going to give your descendants this land. Now, I would assume a conversation that God would have with Jacob kind of like this. You're a real knucklehead. That word that I spoke over you when you were in the womb, I would have fulfilled it. I would have gotten your dad to bless you instead of your brother. I know the, the heart of your brother. Come on now. God is so gracious. He's going to deal with Jacob. He's going to correct him and deal with his character but he begins with reaffirming his promise to Jacob, the grace of God. Also, your descendants shall be the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you, you're, and, and in you and in your seed, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Your descendants are going to be innumerable, innumerable. And that's been fulfilled in the nation of Israel. The Jewish people are north, south, east, west. And then also your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Singular speaking of Jesus. Through Jesus, all of the world is reached. God and his plan for Jacob and the nation of Israel led to Christ, which led to the reaching of the world. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. God's presence, I'm with you. God's protection, I'll keep you. God's promise, I'm going to bring you back to this land. In verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. I want you to underline that if you're a Bible underliner. And if you're not, why not? Right? Get personal with that. How many times in our lives where we go, man, I did not think that the Lord was here. This is so difficult. And maybe it's difficult because of our sinful choices. Like, man, it just doesn't feel like God is with me. Sometimes it's difficult because of the choices of others. Sometimes it's difficult because of the circumstances. And God's message to Jacob is, I was here. I was here, and you didn't know it. You didn't know that I was here. How many times do we look back in our lives in one of these dark, difficult seasons, and we go, God, you were there. I was questioning whether you were there or not. But now I can look back, and I can see your hand of faithfulness. I can see your hand of, of goodness. So we can trust that God's there with us, whether we feel it or not. Whether we perceive it or not, he's promised that he is with us. How many times would God speak the very same thing over our lives? Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God and this gate of heaven. So he's moved by this vision and experience with God. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put 
at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. Bethel is specific because it means house of God. So this is the house of God. This is where God met me. This is where God's presence is. And he uses this stone pillow to now become pillar and worship the Lord in this place. In verse 19, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so I shall come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone that I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob enters into this this vow, this commitment with God. And the thing that I love about Jacob's journey with the Lord is it's a process. And now we're going to shift our focus in the book of Genesis from studying Isaac to studying Jacob. And the whole time with Jacob, God is pursuing greater surrender. That seems to be the issue for, for Jacob. It's difficult for him to surrender. It's difficult for things to be out of his control. And he makes his commitment to the Lord and says, God, if you're faithful to these promises that you've just told me, then I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to give you a tenth of what you provide for me. He saw Abraham giving a tenth and heard those stories of of Abraham giving. And now he enters into his own heart and he says, I will want to give as well. And as we look at giving in our own hearts and our lives, it's in response of what God has done for us and who he is and saying, Lord, I want to respond in being a, a faithful giver to you. And as God moves in your heart and you study the book of Malachi, we see God's instruction on tithing. And then we see in the New Testament where God says, let each of you purpose in your own heart that you're to give, to be a a cheerful giver unto the Lord. And here at RMC, we believe in that. We have the tithe boxes out in the foyer and you can give online if you feel led, but it really needs to be between you and the Lord. It needs to be inside of relationship with the Lord. As you see who God is and how the Lord moves in your heart to be a cheerful giver. You know, the Lord doesn't want us to be grumpy givers out of obligation. He wants us to be cheerful givers as he moves upon our heart. And we see that taking place in Jacob's life. So hearts are revealed. I hope tonight that we can learn from experience. Experience is the best teacher. But why does it have to be our experience? Guys, there's some of Jacob in all of us. Amen? And we need to be careful before we go down this road of manipulation and deception and going, I've got to have the van's shoes. And it was a no, but I really want a yes. So I'm going to manipulate and be deceptive in order so that I can get that pair of pair of shoes. God's able to fulfill his promises. God's able to do his work. He doesn't need our deception. He doesn't need our manipulation. God can change our character. If you go, you know, this has been a part of my track record, this deception and and lying. God wants to get a hold of your heart and life. And I guarantee you, if we go down this road of lying and deception, it's going to come back on us 
in a far greater way. I'm going to just blow the surprise. Jacob starts working for a bride, Rachel, seven years. That's a long time to work for a bride. I'm going to institute that with my three daughters. You want to marry one of my daughters? Okay, seven years of work. You can start by painting the house, sucker, right? So he works for seven years and is so excited to marry Rachel. Said these seven years just seemed like a week to him because he's so in love, right? And what does Laban do? Does the old switcheroo and says, here's Leah. And he actually wakes up on his honeymoon and he's like, no, this is the wrong bride, right? He reaped what he sowed. And he was deceived by Laban. The trickster was tricked. And God was working that out of his character. So don't think you get away with it. I don't get away with it. For deceptive and manipulating and lying, it's much easier to learn, learn in the comfort of a Bible study. Say, okay, Lord, you're a God of truth. You're not a God of lies. And so even though the truth is difficult, I'm gonna tell the truth. And then, more importantly, to see God's heart of his faithfulness even in the midst of our lying and deception. That's what's even more humbling in all of this is that God didn't leave Jacob, that God didn't forsake Jacob, that God didn't withhold his blessing on Jacob because of Jacob's sin struggle. And that's true of the Lord as well. And that should humble us. That should cause us to go, man, I don't want to sin more. I'm so amazed, God, of your grace and your endless pursuit of me. And maybe you find yourself alone and you find yourself in a dark place and your pillow feels like a stone. God is there. The Lord is there. He's in that place even when we don't realize it. So let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would change us through time in your word and time with you. And we want to turn and repent from being manipulative and deceptive to try to get blessing and things that we want and to trust you and trust your ability to provide your word, your faithfulness in our lives. But also we, we thank you that you're with us even when we don't realize it, that you don't leave us or forsake us. And like Jacob, may we become more aware of your presence and have our own Bethel. And Lord, when we deserve for you to forsake us, you stay with us and you, you teach us. We're so grateful for that. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.